I've extended this series out for a week, uh, and so we've kind of almost finished it. And I had a big finish last week, but there is another dimension to this whole idea of true north, and uh, that's what we're looking at at the moment. We're looking at these compasses that can help us to stay true north. If you can put the slide up, please, Chris. Um, so we're looking at all these different compasses that will help us to stay when we're in, un- in uncharted waters and we're off the map and we don't know what's going on. We've got the compass of faith, and we've got identity, and we've got character, we've got endurance, we've got passion. But there's another one that I want to talk about this morning. And, and as a way of kind of introducing it, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at various stories from history and from exploration and from journey and from adventure. And if I said these words, Houston, we've had a problem, you'd all know what I was talking about, wouldn't you? Yes, you'd, oh, Apollo 13. Uh, who's seen the movie? Great movie. Apollo 13 was the third manned mission to the moon, which became the most famous of all because um, there was an explosion and an oxygen tank exploded, uh, putting the the craft and the crew in deep trouble. They were over 200,000 miles away from Earth. Their oxygen, their power, uh, their water was fading fast. They were all going to die unless they could work together to find a way home. And uh, there are two occasions in the, in the story and in the film where they have to generate a, a rocket launch uh, um, to kind of propel or, or, or kind of a boost to, to propel them to change trajectory. And uh, the second one that happens uh, is a five minute, um, well, the first, first one happens is a five minute rocket burn to change their trajectory. But then 26 hours later, there's another rocket burn they need to manufacture for 14 seconds. And Captain Jim Lovell had to center the earth in the tiny window of the craft. And he had to keep the earth, the destination, in the crosshairs of his vision in order for them to get home. And it's that kind of idea that I want to explore with you today. Because to get safely home, the Apollo 13 had to keep their destination in their vision. Their hope lay in fixing their eyes on home. So does ours. See, what I want to explore with you this morning is this. Home is where your hope is. Home is where your hope is. And I want to suggest that our hope and our home should not be centered on the earth, but should be centered on something totally different. And hope is not, I hope my team will ever win a football match. Because if you support my team, that's no hope. That's not what hope is about, okay? Because our hope is not, a biblical hope is not a hope so, it's a no so. It's not what we're hoping or what we're wishing. It's what we know. It isn't wishing for the best. It isn't waiting to see what will happen and hope it turns out well. Hope is not a feeling or emotion. Hope is the knowledge of facts. And if, and if you'll bear with me this morning, I want to give you a little bit of theology this morning. Are we, are we up for that? Just a little bit of theology. So it's in Hebrews chapter 6. We've been looking at this book together. And we've really only been looking at Hebrews chapter 11 over the last five weeks. And we've looked at characters that the writer talks about in Hebrews 11, who all had a different compass. We looked at Abraham, who had the compass of faith. We looked at Joseph, who had the compass of character. And then Moses with identity. And then David with passion. And then last week, we looked at endurance But there's some verses tucked in in Hebrews chapter 6, which highlight this sixth compass, which is so important. And it says this in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, there's a lot of big words in that, and there's a lot of concepts and phrases. I want to try and break it down for you. In the ancient world, the anchor was a symbol for hope, which is why in catacombs and in prisons, 
Uh, if you ever get to visit some of these places, sometimes you can see etched into the wall, not just a fish, but you can sometimes see etched into the wall an anchor. Because Christians ex were experiencing persecution. And when the writer of the book of Hebrews wrote, he was writing this book to the early church in between the persecution under the emperor Nero and the persecution under the emperor Domitian. And somewhere in the middle of that, these, these guys and girls were being persecuted for their faith. And so for them, the anchor was really important because it was, it was a symbol of hope. Okay? Now, what this, by, what this these few verses say is that the hope that we have is not only an anchor, but the hope for us has gone into the inner sanctum, into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and into the Old, Jewish, Old Testament Jewish system of worship. In the, in, the, in the Holy of Holies, that was the place where only one man got to go, and he only got to go there once a year, and that was the great high priest. And they believed, and the Jews believed, that this was where the very presence of God was. And actually, only once a year, one man got to go there on behalf of everyone else. But the Bible says that when Jesus died and when he rose again, he tore the veil and he went into the Holy of Holies and he opened up the access for every single one of us to know God. That's great, isn't it? That's incredible. That's the hope we've got. Our hope isn't in one man going in one day a year. Our hope is that Jesus, our great hope and our great uh, saviour, he's gone in and he's torn the veil and he's opened the way so that you and I get access to God all the time whenever we need it. That's amazing. And, um, and, and when he talks about um, that Jesus has become this high priest in the order of Melchizedek, that's a reference to this guy called Melchizedek who was around the time of Abraham, who was, who was a picture of the great high priest and in many ways a type of Christ, a picture of who Christ is. But what the writer is saying, but Jesus is better than that. He's better than all of these people. You don't need to focus on that. You need to focus on who he is. And I want to say something. When I've been thinking and preparing about this, because of my age, I, I thought a song that some of you will know. Wherever I lay my hat, that's my... Remember that song, Paul Young in the 80s? Wherever I lay my hat, that's my home. No, home is where you drop your anchor. Home is where you drop your anchor. To the early Christians who have been persecuted, they didn't drop their anchor in this world. They dropped it in the next. Home is where your hope is. Are you tracking where I'm going? You see, when, if we want to keep our destination in our view, our destination is not the earth. Our destination is eternity. Home is where you drop your anchor. Where are you putting your anchor? Where are you putting your hope? If it's in this world, we're going to be in trouble. But if it's in the eternal world, that's a whole different deal. And if we've got this compass of hope, I think this will keep us true north. will keep us true north. And um, the phrase that I've been working on is this, to the believer, hope is an anchor that is tethered to eternity. Hope is an anchor that is tethered to eternity. And a ship has an anchor with a, with a rope on it, tethers it and, it, and it puts it into the ground and it keeps it solid and it keeps it you know, from not moving and not drifting and not being pushed onto the rocks in storms. But our hope is not tethered to this world, it's tethered to the next. Our hope is an anchor that is tethered to eternity. And if we can grasp this, it should change everything. It should change everything. Firstly, it should change the way that we do life. When it comes to living life, what does it mean to have an eternal perspective? What does it mean that your hope is not in the here and now, but your hope is in eternity? This is one of my favorite quotes. Max Licado said this, The greatest calamity is not to feel far from home when you are, but to feel right at home when you're not. That's genius. 
I don't know if you get that. The greatest calamity is not to feel far from home when you are, but to feel right at home when you're not. Listen, if you feel right at home in this world, you've missed it. Because we're not meant to be. If you know God this morning, we're not meant to be. This is not our destination. We are passing through. Are you tracking me? We're passing through. This is not our destination. This is not where we're going to drop the anchor of our hope into this world. You see, if we live like that, then we'll get too attached to things that aren't eternal and don't mean that much. But if we could anchor our hope into eternity, then we will live with a greater sense of what's really important in this life, which is people. And we'll live with a greater sense of the mission that God has for us on planet Earth. And I want to show you that with an illustration that a guy called Francis Chan I saw do. And this was quite a while ago. And he was in a big American church and it was much more impressive because they have a bigger budget. All right, so you'll have to go with me on this. But he basically had this rope that was stretched out all across the stage and off into the wings. So you couldn't see where the end of it was. Whereas mine you can. But so here we go. So hopefully it will work. I want you to imagine that this rope represents the timeline of your life and my life. And it represents eternity. Because whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, you and I are eternal beings. We will go on forever. Not on this earth, but we will go on forever. This represents eternity. Millions and millions of years going on and on forever. This little bit here represents your life on earth. But the reality is, and the problem is, we spend all of our time and our focus and our energy on that little red bit and we ignore the rest of it. And so what we do is that we work really hard in maybe this bit for the belief that when we get to this little bit, we'll really enjoy that bit playing golf. It's craziness. If that's, what we're, if that's all we're about and we're ignoring all of this, we're crazy. And what we do is that in this bit, we get so attached to the things that only belong in this bit that don't go on forever. I was told at the first story, a really... I personally embarrassing little revelation of, of something that happened to me this week. I mean, it highlighted it. I, I was in the gym and I finished in the gym and I got home. And when I got home, I realized my phone was not on my person. <gasps> I cannot tell you the angst in, my, in me, the way that I drove from home to here. The way that I ran up the stairs like in the Rocky film, if you've seen that at the top. The way I barged through the door, ignored Mary who was the receptionist there, went straight upstairs to the gym saw this woman that was on the stepper, the last, in, the last bit that I was on, basically I could see my phone on the, on, the, on the little ledge under the stepper and said, excuse me, put my hand in, took my phone and it was all all right. And then I, and I felt God say to me, what are you doing? It's a phone. It's only a little bit in that little bit. And yet we get so attached to things in there, don't we? We get so attached and we ignore all of these other things. And the Bible says that what you and I choose to do in this bit of our one and only life will have a bearing on the rest of eternity. And listen, if you're not a Christian yet this morning, I want you to know something. And maybe if you're here or you're watching or you're listening, I want you to know this. Listen, God loves you so much that he gave his only son so that you could have a relationship with him, not just for now in this bit, but for the whole of eternity. But he will respect your free will and your choice. And if you choose to reject him now, he will not push himself on you now or for eternity. Why would he do that? So you need to know that what you do with the free gift that he has given you in Christ will not only affect your life here in this little red bit, but will affect the rest of your eternity. And you know, for those of us that know that and we've accepted him, are we living just focused on this or are we living focused on that? 
What about some of the decisions that we make in this bit? I remember years ago being uh, in a, um, uh, a meeting with, with some people in our bank and we were reviewing our finances. And I remember this, this uh, lady say, looking at our finances and she says, you work for the church, right? And I said, yeah. She says, but you give like a big number every month to the church out of your salary. I says, yeah, that's right. And I could see from the look on her face, she thought I was crazy. Because she was thinking, well, why do you work for that church and you give that number? What could you do with that money? And I wanted to say to her, because I could see what she was thinking. I didn't say it out loud. You're crazy. Because I'm giving money, not to this little bit, but for eternity, because I want to please God. Because my investment is not just into this little bit, which is so short and so small and so fleeting, but it's into the rest of eternity. And you know, often in funerals, and it's so sad and tragic when you do a funeral of, of someone who's young. Uh, and I've done funeral of children and young people and, and many people. And it's so sad and so tragic. But you know, I often want to say, but if you die when you're seven, or when you're 27, or 57, or 107, in the light of eternity, it's all short. Honestly. Yes, it's tragic. Of course it is. But it's all short in the life of eternity. So are we going to live with our hope anchored into this bit, or our hope anchored into that bit? And you know, if we, if we could live like this, it also means something else. There is hope in this life beyond death as well. Let me, let me explain. There is hope in that little red bit beyond the death of a marriage. You can live again. Beyond the death of a loved one, there is hope. Beyond the death of a, of a job or of a dream or of a career, there's life beyond that because of what Jesus has done. I love what C.S. Lewis writes. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. And I think to myself, if I really lived like I believe what I say I believe, what would I do in here different? Maybe I'd say, do you know what? I've got that amount of time on planet Earth Everybody I come into contact with, I want them to have a chance of getting to know God. Why? Because it matters for eternity. Doesn't it? Is our hope anchored in this world or is it anchored in eternity? I think it also makes a massive difference if we have this eternal perspective of hope when it comes to tough times. You see, you and I in that little red bit, that little bit of life, we'll have some tough times. And the Apostle Paul, he had an amazing perspective on tough times. In Philippians 1 verse 12, it says this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And what he was referring to was this. He was writing this from prison. And he's saying, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. My perspective is eternal. And this, the fact that I'm in prison is advancing the gospel. There's a bigger picture. And I want to explain that to you. So I'm going to ask Russ to come and help me. Did it at the first service. You see, the Apostle Paul's perspective on tough times was this. The Apostle Paul believed that things happen to us and they're bad, okay? Bad things can happen to us. But when things happen to us, it's in order that something can happen in us. And when we let something happen in us, greater things can happen through us. That's an eternal perspective. Doesn't mean that God causes the bad things, but they happen. So for Paul, he was an action man. He was, a, he was an all-go kind of person. He was a church planter. He was a, he was a traveler. And yet he finds himself in a Roman prison. And for three-hour watches every single day, he's trapped to a big, ugly Roman soldier, okay? Yeah. 
I'm going to say use your imagination, but my, no, I'm joking. So, so, if, so, so, so he's, he's thinking, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this prison trapped to this brute of a guy, okay? I want to be out there doing the thing that God has put me on the planet to do. But because his hope is not anchored into this world, it's anchored into the next, he has an eternal perspective. And so what happens is that for three hours, this guy is chained to him, and they've got nothing to do but to talk for three hours. You do not want to be chained to the Apostle Paul for three hours. Because he's only going to talk about one thing. And his name is? And so after three hours, he goes and he says to the next guy who comes to join him, that guy's a nutter. Do you know what I mean? That guy, you're going to be chained to him for three hours and he's just going to talk to you about Jesus. But here's the incredible thing is, because of his perspective on his tough times, right at the end, right at the end, Philippians 4, 21 to 22, it says this, Paul says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. You see, day after day after day, soldier after soldier after soldier, people came chained to this guy. They were never the same again. Thank you. Isn't that amazing? And so for Paul, it's like, yes, I'm chained to this thing. I don't want to be chained to it. But because my hope is not anchored in this world, it's anchored in the next. I'm going to have a different perspective on tough times. God is going to do something through this tough time for his glory. That's amazing. And people came to faith in Christ because he was chained to them in prison. A guy called Mark Batterson said this, What if the circumstances you're asking God to change are the very circumstances God is using to change you? What if the circumstances you are asking God to change are the very circumstances God is using to change you? The other perspective Paul had on his tough times were that tough times were temporary. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for our light and momentary troubles, he says, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Whatever you're passing through, you're passing through. It will pass. I can't guarantee you that it will pass in that amount of time. But I can guarantee you it will in that. It will. And the old acrostic that many of you will know, hold on, pain ends, is absolutely true. I don't know whether it's in that period of time. I wish it was for you and for me. But I do know that it will be in that period of time. So when it comes to life and living life, this is perspective so important. When it comes to how we deal with our tough times, but what about when it comes to the big question that you and I have? The undeniable question that we all face at some point in our life is why? God, why did that happen? Why did that person have to die? Why did that person have to leave? Why did that person do that to me? Why did that situation turn out the way it did? And when we ask the question why, it spins off to three other big questions as well. God, are you there? Do you care? And will you do anything about it? So we have all these big questions. And let me just say a little aside. When it comes to um, other people who are maybe asking this question, maybe not you, but there's other people asking this why question, maybe people who've lost people or people who've been through incredible tragedy. What you and I do is that we think, right, they're going through a bad time. I must avoid them because if I avoid them, then I won't upset them anymore. Do you know? And, and we do that even as Christians. We avoid them because we think that we'll say the wrong thing. Can I just say, if somebody is really grieving, you ain't going to say the wrong thing. You're not going to make them feel any worse than they already do. But one of the big things is just being present. 
You haven't got any answers. I haven't got any answers. But just being present and showing that you care is enough. Tony Campolo tells a great story when he turned up at the wrong funeral. He turned up at the funeral of someone and it was the wrong one. And he got to the wrong funeral parlor. And when he got in there, the funeral was for an elderly man. And the only mourner was his widow. And he says this. He says, so I stayed with her and I went to the cemetery. And I went through the whole process with these people that I didn't know. But then afterwards, when he went back for some refreshments, he confessed that he didn't know a husband. And she said, I thought as much. She said this, but then squeezing his arm, she gently said, but you will never, ever know what you being here has meant to me. Didn't say anything, but he was just there. So I want to say, if you know people who are asking the big why question, don't think about, you know, avoiding because you'll upset them. Just be present. It's so important. But you know, if you do, if you are one of the people this morning that's asking all these questions, then I've got hopefully some hope for you. You know, I often say, and you've heard me say it many times, I don't know why things happen the way they do. I don't have all the answers. And a lot of things that happen in life don't make much sense to me. But without God, they make no sense at all. And I was with somebody this week who was trying to grapple with a massive, difficult, painful situation in their life. And they were pushing back on God, really saying, how could God let this happen? And I get that. And my heart went out to them. But I just want to say, hey, you've got a choice here. You can go through this with God or without God. I don't know what the answers are. I don't know the answers to all that. But I do know you can choose whether you're going to go through it with God or without. Yes, it might not make any sense. You take God out of it, makes no sense whatsoever. No sense whatsoever. Life is not all about these few years on this broken planet. Life is all about eternity. And in Revelation 21, it says this, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Isn't that amazing? And I wrote this down myself in my own words. All of the world's injustices will be made right. You know that's coming, don't you? That'd be amazing. No more tears or pain. Some big crowns on unfamiliar heads and some big heads might not even get a button, let alone a crown. Wouldn't that be great? Rick Warren, leader of one of the biggest churches in the world, his son, Matthew, killed himself a couple of years ago, took his own life through a, a life of battling with mental health. And he wrote this, I do not have to know why everything happens since I know God is good and he loves me and life on earth is not the whole story. And I think, I've said this before, for us, one of our biggest challenges, as you know, is our son, Simeon. And he's got very complex special needs, lives in residential care now. And for 22 years, Simeon's been on the earth and we've never really been able to communicate properly with him. He's never been able to, of his own volition, tell us he loves us, although we know he does. Uh, And we've never been, uh, we don't know whether that will ever happen this side of eternity. But for us, the hope that we cling on to is that one day he will. One day he will. One day, all of that stuff that's not quite working right in his head and in his heart and all of that stuff, that will all be made right. And we cling on to that, not as some pie in the sky when you die, but as something of reality which gives us an eternal perspective. And maybe this morning for you, there's an area in your life where you say, hey, I've got no hope. Don't anchor your hope in this world. Anchor it in the next you anchor it in this world, you're anchoring it into a tiny little bit of time. You anchor it into the next, you're anchoring it into eternity. That's amazing. It's amazing. 
And then when it comes to the question and the subject that none of us want to talk about, which is death. We don't want to talk about it. We talk about everything else in our world. It's awkward for us. It's unfamiliar. Stat I read ages ago it said the average 16-year-old by the time of World War I had seen six dead bodies in their lifetime. 16-year-old. Now, it's not uncommon for you to reach 50 and having had no experience with anyone dying. So we're unfamiliar with this whole thing. We are the generation which fears death the most. We fear getting old, so we insulate, we pretend, we deny, we have surgery, we color, we cover, we do all we can to put off the inevitable result that we're getting old and that one day we'll die. But you know, aging is God's way of keeping us looking homewards. Aging is God's way of, of us keeping looking homewards because our home is not this earth, it's that one. And we don't want to talk about it, but it's so important. It's upsetting. And I love what Winston Churchill said about this. I'm ready to meet my maker. Whether my maker is prepared for the great ordeal of meeting me is another matter. I want to say, Winston, you're a great man, but God was more than ready to meet you, mate. All right. So don't feel so full of your own self there. Whether we like it or not, whether we admit it or not, death is the ultimate statistic. One out of every one of us are going to die. But you know, to Jesus, death was not something to be feared. In fact, Jesus uses wedding imagery when he talks about death. In John 14, 1 to 2, it says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Now, this imagery that Jesus is talking when he's talking about death, he's using wedding imagery where the father of the groom is in the big house and he's preparing a room for his son and a new wife. And the groom goes and he says, hey, we're going to get married, darling. And I'm going to take you back to my father's house. And we're going to live the whole of our lives in that amazing house. So that's what Jesus says. He uses wedding imagery to talk about death. So it's a little bit like you're walking down the aisle to get married. But actually, death is like that. Some of you are thinking, yep, marriage and death. I get that. Now, I'm not meaning that, all right? But actually, it's an anticipation. It's expectation. You're walking down the aisle to be joined with the person you love the most to spend the rest of your life together. That's what a wedding should be. That's what death is. Jesus says it's just like that. We, we, my father is preparing a home and I'm going to come and get you because I love you the most and we are going to spend eternity together. Death is not the end, folks. It's the beginning. It's amazing, isn't it? You look excited, but you think, but I'm not ready yet. I know that. I get that. But it's exciting. It's amazing. And Paul in prison with the fight. And this is not the prison that I just talked about. This is another one This because he goes in prison twice. This, this is at the end of his life. The very last things that he wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4. You know, if you're going to write something that you really want to communicate, if you know this is going to be the end, then write what you want to say. And this is what he said. In 2 Timothy 4, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Look at that word in a minute. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In other words, I've stayed true north. Yeah? Then he goes on to say, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing, to all who have put their hope in eternity. And that word departure that Paul uses is he's, he's kind of, it's a nice word to say, I'm going to die. But that word departure has got three meanings. Firstly, it's a ship and it's taking up an anchor, hoisting the sail and setting sail for a better place. Secondly, it's a tent. 
taking down a tent because you're moving to a mansion. And thirdly, the connection of it is coming out of a prison cell because you've been set free. That's how Paul views death. His departure is, hey, I'm pulling up the anchor because I'm heading to another land. I'm taking down the tent because I'm moving to a mansion. I'm coming out of a prison because I'm going to be set free. What a fantastic way to view death, isn't it? That's hope, guys. That's hope. And we live and we can die with hope when our hope is in Christ. Our hope is an anchor that is tethered to eternity. I'm going to ask the band if they could come back up. You know, D.L. Moody was a famous um, evangelist in the 19th century. Um, uh, He was quite a character. And he wrote this. Someday you'll read in the papers that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am right now. I shall have gone up higher. That is all. Home is where your hope is. I know for some of you who are younger, you're like, oh yeah, right, I've got my life to live. And of course you have. For some of us who are getting older, we may be a little bit more conscious of this. But can I tell you, death is no discriminator of age. It's tiny. The short amount of time we have on planet Earth is tiny. We've got to anchor our hope to where it really matters. And that's not this world, but it is eternity. Why don't we stand together? Why don't we stand? I want to pray for you this morning, guys. We're going to sing then an incredible hymn that we sing quite a lot here, but it's such an incredible hymn of of, of truth and of triumph as well. But just before we do that, I want to just pray for you. And maybe this morning there's somebody here And maybe right now you need hope more than anything else. You need hope. You need to know that you have a hope that is an anchor for your soul. That isn't anchored into the temporary of this world, but is anchored into the eternal of the next. Then you can know that. And maybe you're not a Christian yet this morning. You can know what I'm talking about. All you need to do is to say, God, I've lived my own life on my own. God, I want to turn from that. And I want to accept and receive what you've done for me. And I want to know you through Jesus and through what he's done on the cross. But maybe you are a Christian this morning. Maybe right now you, you, you know that actually your perspective and your vision has been so distracted. And today is an opportunity for you to say, I want to recenter my vision. I want to center my hope, not on what I see, but on what I don't see. Not on this world, but on eternity. And you can know that as well. So why don't we pray together? Father, we thank you for your incredible truth. And we thank you for this incredible compass of hope that we can possess. What an anchor for our soul. An anchor that is tethered to eternity. And God, I pray that this would would do something in us, Lord. It would create a greater sense of urgency for how we live our life. Create a sense of what we think is important, what we're going to get uptight about and what we're not. Lord, it would help us when we're facing tough times. Maybe some of us are chained to a situation or a circumstance right now. God, give us an eternal perspective, I pray. God, maybe some of us are going through troubles that are so difficult. God, they will pass. They are temporary. Give us hope. Lord, maybe some of us this morning are asking the big why question. Why did that have to happen? God, give us hope that we might not get all the answers, but we know you're good and we know you're God. And we know that there is an eternity to work it out with you. And God, when that day comes for all of us, and it will, 
when we get to face death, God, I thank you that we can face it with confidence and with hope as if we were walking down the aisle to begin our life of love and relationship with the one that we love the most for the rest of eternity. Father, you are such an amazing God. Jesus, we love you so much. So God, I want to pray for every single person in this room. God, may we know hope that is an anchor for our soul that is tethered to eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.